What's up, people of Earth and Anchor and Spotify podcast listeners? Well, and welcome to this week's news and flashback fun mini episode. The late Michael Jackson, who unfortunately passed in 2009, would have been 65 years old today. He shares his birthday with Barbara Topsey Rothenberg, actress Carlo Gugino, TV actress Leia Michelle, actor Elliot Gold, pop singer Liam Payne, the late director Joel Schumacher, the late director Richard Attenborough, comedian Nicole Byers, and the late exorcist director William Friedkin. Unfortunately, today marks seven years since we lost Gene Wilder. Peaches, peaches, peaches. Bowser himself, Jack Black, turned 54 years old yesterday. His birthday pals include country singer Leanne Rimes, singer Shania Twain, actor Army Hammer, TV actor Jason Priestley, and actress Jennifer Coolidge. Go, go, Power Rangers. Can you believe that August 28th marked 30 years since the debut of the very first original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers episode? It was also the debut date of 2005's Rome TV show, 2015's War Room and We Are Your Friends, and 2009's Taking Woodstock. Alas, yesterday marked three years since the unexpected death of the MCU's beloved King T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. He may be gone, but his spirit and legacy will live on forever. The world will always miss you, Chadwick. Rest in peace, Wakanda forever. It would have also been the late Paul Rubin's 71st birthday, but he sadly passed away earlier this month. It also marks 60 years since the historic March on Washington and Dr. Martin Luther King's legendary I Have a Dream speech. I forgot to mention on Saturday's breaking news that Lemonade Radio turned three on that day. <laughs> Sorry. On to the news. You know how I had to do a break on Saturday, August 26th, that longtime The Price is Right host Bob Barker passed away? Well, he wasn't the only icon that passed away that week. Later that day, it was revealed 67-year-old Arlene Sorkin, the original voice of Harley Quinn, joined her late Batman the Animated Series co-star Kevin Conroy uh, in that Gotham City in the Sky, August 24th. Sorkin, who is married to, to actor Christopher Lloyd and his two boys, lost her long fight with multiple sclerosis. However, she wasn't just the voice of Quinn on the show. She was also the real-life inspiration for her. According to her Wikipedia page, Harleen Quinn made her first appearance in the Batman the Animated Series episode Joker's Favor, originally intended to appear in a single episode, but reaction to the character and Sorkin's voice performance was positive, so Quinn was written to the show regularly and appeared in further DC animated universe series, including the new Batman Adventures, Static Shock, Justice League, Gotham Girls, 
in the animated film Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. After the video game DC Universe Online, Sorkin retired from voicing Harley Quinn and therefore did not reprise her role in any subsequent DC projects. Her other famous role was playing Days of Our Lives' lovable but wacky Calliope Jones. Starting in 1984 and up until 2010, she played Calliope for 427 episodes. She also appeared as Geneva in the show's Open House and Duet. Rest in peace. Sorry, Spiderwick Chronicles fans, I have some bad news for you. Comingsoon.net announced yesterday, August 28th, it has been nearly two years since Disney Plus had greenlit the series adaptation of the Spiderwick Chronicles. And now Deadline brings word that the streamer has ultimately decided to exit the project as part of its cost-cutting efforts. Before Disney Plus's departure from the live-action adaptation, the Spider-Work Chronicles series has already completed its production earlier this year. Because of this, Paramount Television Studios is currently finding a home for the coming-of-age fantasy series. In addition to the Spider-Work Chronicles, the live-action Captain Nemo series titled Nautilus is also no longer moving forward at Disney+. Plus. It's currently unclear if there are plans to shop the project to other companies. Besides exiting previously announced projects, the company's cost-cutting strategy has also led to the removal of a number of original Disney Plus and Hulu shows from their respective streaming platforms. These included the Willow series, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, Diary of a Future President, The Mysterious Benedict Society, and Marvel's Runaway. If that wasn't bad enough, HBO decided to yank and pull the plug on its controversial show, The Idol, with Abel, The Weeknd, Tess Fay, and Lily Rose Depp after one, uh, how do we put it bluntly, controversial season yesterday. Ooh-wee. In better news, big news, Leonardo DiCaprio fans, IndieWire.com stated earlier this afternoon Apple Original Films has announced its final release plans in partnership with Paramount Pictures for Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. The film will open wide globally on October 20th, skipping the previously announced limited release that would have occurred two weeks earlier. The move shows how, just how much confidence Apple has in this awards contender after its star debut at Cannes. IndieWire's own David Elric called it Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance, and after years of doing fine work in films like Certain Women and The Unknown Country, Lily Gladstone is also tipped to have a major breakout moment with the film, which also stars Robert De Niro, Jesse Plemons, Cara Jade Myers, Janae Collins, Jillian Dion, and Tattooed Cardinal. The wide release on October 20th, also includes IMAX theaters, with Scorsese's images and sound remastered to fit the immersive format. It's the director's first narrative feature in four years, since 2019's The Irishman for Netflix. Partnering with Apple and its virtually unlimited resources allowed Scorsese to fully realize his version. No streaming premiere 
on Apple TV Plus following its theatrical release has been set so far. However, the film does have a little not-so-secret weapon in its cast. That of this year's Best Actor winner, Brendan Fraser. So, will Fraser end up going for gold again? Will DiCaprio end up going for gold as well? We'll have to wait and find out. The late rapper Coolio got a final fitting send-off on Monday's Futurama episode. TheRap.com stated yesterday, The final appearance made by late rapper Coolio in Hulu's reboot of Futurama featured a holiday-themed hip-hop song in tribute to the musician. Yo, Sintabot, I'm gonna... I'm gonna drop my Futurama Xmas list from 3023. Y'all ready for this? I'm about to get nice. Coolio said in a 45-second clip before running off with his rocks, Quantabot, yeah! Give me 12 slurms of slurping, 11 benders burping, 10 episodes dropping. Coolio originally played Quantabot in two previous episodes of Futurama in, 2020, in 2001. While many of Coolio's fans know him for his hits like Gangster's Paradise and See You When You Get There, he also had a stint in the acting realm, with one of his roles being Quantabot, Santa Bot's counterpart in the newly rebooted Futurama. His Xmas-less rap was his final appearance as the character before his death last year. And it's featured on the, in the episode, I Know What You Did Next Xmas, which premiered on Monday. In it, Santa Bot, um, in it, Quantum Bot and Hanako Zombie help explain to children that there's a holiday for everyone. And Quantum Bot came back later in the end credits to perform his animated sing-along. Afterward, the clip shows a tribute to the rapper, which said, In memory of Coolio. The video shows Quantabot riding off into the distance. The Grammy Award-winning artist died September 28, 2022, at a friend's home in Los Angeles. Like, could you believe this? Barbie is now Warner Brothers' biggest release ever, creaming Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 from 2011. Now, if you excuse the bad Seuss rhymes for about a minute or two, Dr. Seuss fan, I have great news for you. News that will make you shout, it's about time, and wahoo! Variety.com reported yesterday, Amazon's podcast studio network, Wonderly. Okay, technically, okay, technically their branch called Wondery Kids and Family made a deal to bring Seuss's cherished books to podcast. Hooray! The first one in the deal is the Cat in the Hat cast, a weekly series hosted by Seuss's red and white hat-wearing cat, who's delighted readers for 66 years past. The variety-like show, also featuring, also with Cat's friend Fish, who's super re who's super real-minded and cautious, don't you know, features wordplay, alphabet sing-alongs, and tongue twisters. It debuts on the Wondery Plus service on the 18th of September, just 13 days after How the Grinch Lost Christmas book arrives on the 5th of September. No, not again. I'm speaking in rhyme. This happens with Dr. Seuss movies and news every time. 
Now, get out of my head, Zeus Flaps. Out, 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 I say. I don't want to be speaking like this all day. Moving on. It's flashback fun time, folks. As late Sean Connery turned a heavenly 92 years old on Friday, let's look back at the very first James Bond film he was in. Doctor, I mean, 1962's Dr. No, starring Connery, Jack Lord, and Joseph Wiseman, introduced the world to Ian Fleming's famous secret agent Bond, James Bond, as he raced against time to stop the mad scientist Dr. No from disrupting an early American space launch with a radio beam weapon. This wasn't, however, the first Ian Fleming James Bond book. That would be Casino Royale. But according to its Wikipedia page, the film makes a few references to earlier books. The film makes references to later books in the series as well, such as the criminal organization Spectre, which was not introduced until the 1961 movie and novel Thunderball. While the film received a mixed critical reaction upon release, it has gained a reputation as one of the series' best installments. Dr. No also launched a genre of secret agent films that flourished in the 1960s. Many aspects of a typical James Bond film were established in Dr. No. No, the film begins with an introduction to the character through the view of a gun barrel and a highly stylized main title sequence, both of which were created by Maurice Binder. It also established the iconic James Bond theme music. While it opened in the UK on October 8, 1962, it wasn't until May 8, 1963 that it opened in the States, in just 450 North American theaters, where it made just $59.5 million. Since then, 27 Bond movies have been made, with 2021's No Time to Die being the latest. According to IMDb.com, Sir Sean Connery was deathly afraid of spiders, so the shot of the spider in his bed was done with a pane of glass between him and the arachnid, which can be seen in one shot in the movie. However, when that didn't look real enough, additional close-ups were used, were, were redone with the stuntman Bob Simmons. Simmons stated the tarantula crawling over Bond was the scariest stunt he had ever performed. And in the film, Bond sings Under the Mango Tree. It's famed for being the only time James Bond has ever sung in a Bond's movie. As today marks the previously announced seventh anniversary of Gene Wilder's death and the Wonka musical is out in December, let's go back to 1971 when his maker Willy Wonka went from the book page to the silver screen. Based on Roald Dahl's 1964 book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical fantasy Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, also starring Jack Albertson, Leonard Stone, Peter Ostrom, Roy Kinnear, Denise Nickerson, and Julie Donkel, made theatergoers enter 
a world of pure imagination. Sorry, I couldn't resist. On June 30th, 1971, the film centers on dirt poor Charlie Bucket, who, along with four other bratty children, visit the reclusive Bonkers' secret chocolate factory after finding the rare golden ticket in chocolate bars. Shockingly, it wasn't a success in theaters, only eating about four million candy bars. But it did become super popular due to home video sales and constant TV airings and got positive reviews as well as a Best Original Score nomination. It introduced the popular song, The Candyman, which was later recorded by Sammy Davis Jr. to the public. A remake of the film with Johnny Depp as Willie Wonka and Freddie Highmore as Charlie opened in 2005. The prequel musical to the film of Wonka about Wonka's early days starring Timothy Chalamet as the chocolatier along with Kyle Lane, Keegan-Michael Key, Rowan Atkinson, Sally Hawkins, Tom Davis, Olivia Coleman, and starring Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa, sinks its way to theaters on December 15th. According to IMDb.com, this is the only film role of... This is Peter Ostrom, who plays Charlie Bucket's sole film role. Ostrom was actually, actually turned down David... L. Wolper's offer for a three-movie contract since he wanted to keep his options open. But after being underwhelmed at the film's premiere, he bought a horse, which led to him later becoming a veterinarian. Austin tried to return to acting just once. When he auditioned to play Alan String after Peter Firth left the Broadway production of 1975's Equus, when Wilder died in 2016, he changed his social media profile to former child star actor, veterinarian, inherited a chocolate factory on 29th August 2016. Did you know that th- during the film, Willy Wonka speaks English, French, German, and Italian during it? And director Mel Stewart didn't want to show a lot of vehicles so the film would never feel dated. You're listening? I mean, that's all for this week's news and flashback fun, folks. So until we meet again, as always, stay safe and watch lots of movies and get to the theaters if you can. Bye now, my minions.